Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week is the second half of my conversation with Christine all the way over in Scotland. And I really enjoyed really both parts of this conversation. I think I learned a lot about the health system over there and about how bladder extrophy patients really can be born with the same birth defect, but it can affect our lives so differently. So I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. jumping off of that track a little bit based Mm -hmm. off of something that you said I didn't have really bladder stones or spasms I only had bladder spasms like after surgeries and stuff oh wow what so I'm just I you've mentioned them a couple times now I assume they were more common for you yeah yeah so even still I'll really randomly get a bladder spasm so I don't know how it is with you, but my parents were initially told that I'll never have any feeling in my bladder at all. Um, And then the first time I had a full bladder, I remember I was in so much pain and I was like crippled over and they were like, you know, what's wrong? What can we do for you? And I think I'd eventually said, like, should I try and empty my bladder? And I was in the hospital at the time. I think I was an outpatient. And I said, you know, should I try and empty my bladder? And they'd said, well, you can't feel your bladder, but you can give it a bash if you want. And then I did. They got me a catheter in it and I felt better. And everybody was like, you shouldn't feel that, you know? So that's when they realised, okay, she's got a sensation in her bladder, which really surprised everybody because they always said that was another risk of having bladder problems is you'd drink a lot of stuff and you'd never know you needed to pee. But I do, so... I started, and I don't even know how to explain them. It's literally just like, imagine just somebody just squeezing your bladder, or like like nails, you know, you know how you get pins and needles? Yeah. It's like that, but it's in your bladder. And they can sometimes be a couple of seconds and stop you in your tracks, or they can be a bit longer. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, they got worse when I had bladder stones. So I've only ever had bladder stones twice in my life. And each time they, they were big enough that they, they needed to do a general anaesthetic to get them out oh my gosh. again because if you catheterize it's you can't really pass them naturally because of how the catheter is because it's so small and everything like that um, right. but that was pretty painful stuff like and that was stop you in your tracks pain you know you couldn't stand up you couldn't lie down you couldn't sort of do anything and there are things that you can do I think to prevent it from happening in terms of like irrigating your bladder so obviously putting sterile water into a syringe and and you know then putting the syringe in into your bladder um but even for me I find that quite painful so to be honest I should do it more and I don't do it enough (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I've I've been quite unlucky with that and I I don't know how it is for you but I, I get quite frequent UTIs, so urinary tract infections, yeah. which I find really they, they can be quite painful as well. I've been fortunate actually this year, I've not had many, but when you get a, a UTI, I mean, you know, you've got a UTI, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's 
it's like instantaneous. I know it before, like even the symptoms really hit in full flow. Like, yes, you can just kind of tell like, oh, I'm going to call my doctor. I should get the medication going the whole process to get the pharmacy to, to fill it. Yeah. Because by the time I feel symptoms, it's going to be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. You just get this kind of sudden twinge, don't you? And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's like a sudden ache and you're like, oh, that's not in a good spot. <laughs> yeah. You're like, did I sleep funny or is this another infection? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, they're, I, I'm like that with my doctor I'll just phone them and I'm quite lucky now because my GP will just be like if you say you have one you have one I'll prescribe you yeah. antibiotics <laughs> yeah it's not a case of oh you know bring in a sample and we'll test it it's just if you say you have one you have one <laughs> yeah. he still has me bring in a sample because sometimes I get like really weird strains of the infection and so like sometimes she'll oh, okay. need to like um prescribe me like a certain type of medication so she still has me bring in a sample but she usually gets me started on something at least and then that way when she has time to actually culture it if she has to change it at least I've already gotten on something and yeah so if it's not making a huge difference yeah yeah maybe a bit of a placebo thing as well isn't it even if it's not totally fixing the infection you feel like there's kind of something in there really fighting it off yeah, well, and sometimes it like will um, ward off the symptoms so that like I feel better, even though it's not attacking like the actual infection. It's like attacking the symptoms. Yeah, and then um, the the different medication that's actually for the strain will then attack, of course, the strain and make it go away. But oh, that's yeah. quite interesting. I've been fairly fortunate in that the same antibiotic tends to tends to work um I've had so many different strains of infection it's ridiculous I've had so many different kinds of medications there was one I was having UTIs so regularly that my body built up a defense against it and we like can't even use it anymore (laughs) oh my goodness oh no yeah (laughs) that was when I was 11 (laughs) Uh, just because you were always on the same one that your body was just like yeah I think it was a Zipro I think I don't think I've heard of that one actually yeah I had reoccurring I had reoccurring UTIs every two weeks for an entire year when I was 11 and so yeah I would be like on medication for a week and then I'd feel better and I'd run out of pills. And then I, within like three days, I would start feeling symptoms again. And so then I'd go back on the medication and it was just that loop over and over again for like a whole year. And then uh, my body built up, uh, I mean, when you're on medication that long, you know, yeah. the, the, the strain built up a defense against it. Yeah. So then we had to switch it up and try to figure out what would actually work and Oh yeah. my goodness. It must be quite <laughs> scary as well, though, thinking, are you ever going to actually shift the infection? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I was so young at the time, I didn't really realize, like, how bad it was. I was just like, oh, I feel crappy again. And, like, I got really good at spotting, like, when I was getting sick again. And, mm. like, my mom learned, like, what parts of my body to press to see if it was in the kidney or if it was, like, in my bladder this time. And Oh, Okay. She kind of like learned to ask certain questions like, does it feel like sparklers? Does it feel like a dull ache? Like, oh, yeah. wow. Oh, my goodness. 
They just yeah. become medical <laughs> professionals themselves, don't they, parents? <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> it, is, it is funny that. But yeah, I, I remember when I was younger, I was put on a regular, I think it was like a nightly dose of trimethoprim. And I think it was a very light one, antibiotic, but I think it was more to try and prevent UTIs from coming. Mm. But then I think something similar happened, which was because I'd had it for so long. I don't think my body had built a resistance up to it, but I think my, my new surgeon had basically said, listen, she's been on this for years. If there's if she has an infection, trimethoprim's not going to touch it. Yeah. So they did stop that. So if they ever tried to prescribe me that now, I'm like, I might not have a, like that might just not touch the kind of the sides of it. So I have to ask for different ones but you might be the same but when they tell you you're getting a specific antibiotic and it that you have bad side effects and you think oh no <laughs> not this one and it's for me it's always the antibiotic that gives me the worst side effects that they give me and I just think oh what's worse you know the side effects of the antibiotic are just like this infection done it's quite and obviously you can't do that with an infection but you do hear the antibiotic you're getting and your heart can sometimes sink a bit and you're like oh yeah <laughs> that one definitely Definitely. I had one. My doctor had to prescribe me a medication. So I had a UTI like six years ago where my body basically built its own strain of UTI. Wow. And because she didn't know like what it was after studying it. And like the specialist I had been seeing, I put air quotes on that because she sucked. So I don't really know how much of a specialist she really was, but. Right. Okay. I hear you. But she kept prescribing me the same medication over and over and over again for the infection, but she never actually looked at my culture to see what the strain was. So she didn't even know if it would work, but she was having me come in and leave samples and it's like, so why aren't you looking at them? Why are you prescribing me the wrong medication? And it was an ongoing thing for like three or four weeks where um, I would finish the medication for four days, you know, the five days and whatever. And then um, I'd call and be like, yeah, I still have an infection. She'd be like, okay, we'll come in and bring a sample. And so I would come in and bring a sample and she prescribed the same medication. And I tried calling like several times and being like, so that medication didn't work. Why are we yeah. prescribing the same one? And um, I eventually called my general physician and explained what was happening. And she was like, all right, well, I'll get the test results from them for the culture. So basically she made the culture actually happen. Wow. <laughs> and she's the strain and was like, I've never seen this before, but I think this really old medication from like the eighties will work on it. So, oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. And then I had to wait three days for the pharmacy to fill it because they had to special order it from someplace. And it wow. had, it had some pretty gnarly side effects. Oh no. It, it knocked. Yeah. It knocked me on my butt. <laughs> Did it just make you feel nauseous and tired and gross? It gave me crazy diarrhea for days. Oh like, my goodness. Not a fun medication to be on, but it kicked the infection that's what you need. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I would rather go through like three days of not feeling good and have the infection kicked than have like three weeks of back and forth. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the thing as well, though, when you're younger, is it's learning that actually take this medicine, which is an antibiotic, it'll make you feel really bad for a couple of days, but then you'll be fine. Whereas if you let an infection linger, then one, the damage that it'll cause, you know, or that it could cause, and two, you'll be sick for longer. And it took me a lot longer than it should have to realise that. <laughs> that. Actually, yeah, I'll take the antibiotics and I'll suck it up for a couple of days. I used to always be like, no, I don't want antibiotics. I don't like them. They make me feel really bad. Totally ignoring the fact that I wasn't sleeping at night and my bladder was sore and my back was sore because my kidneys hurt. So yeah, but it's better than antibiotics. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but it took me longer than it should have to really kind of realise that. And I was like, actually, I'm really sick for like a month before I do anything. Like, I'll just take the antibiotics and I'll be fine. But yeah, U- yeah, UTIs are a bit of a a bit of a challenge. And the annoying thing is they, they are hard to avoid, especially you know, if you self-catheterise, they can be quite challenging. But actually in, in the UK, so you can, obviously you can phone your GP and you don't pay for prescriptions or anything in Scotland because it's under the NHS. So the GP will just prescribe your antibiotic free of charge. But I had it like during a bank holiday. So I think everywhere was shut for a few days. And I remember I'd said to my husband, I was like, I, this one's going to be bad. I need towards antibiotics so um the pharmacy can prescribe them here as well so you can phone a pharmacist and and you can tell them your symptoms and they can generally prescribe them so phone my pharmacist and they had said they, they'd said do, do you ever get are you seeing blood in your pee and I'd said well I self-catheterize so you, sometimes you can if your stoma's been a bit irritated and things I went so I've not I went but if I do that's not necessarily signs of an infection and they went if you self-catheterize we can't prescribe you antibiotics and I was what? like but surely like I'm, I'm the highest risk of having a UTI and they went you need to speak to your GP and I was like but they're closed and I'm in pain oh we can't prescribe you so I thought that's fine I'll try another pharmacy so I went to another, which was a bit cheeky, I won't lie. But I, so I went to another pharmacy and I was like, I'm not going to say that I self-catheterized. So they'd said, you know, why, why do you think you have a UTI? And I went, I've got pain in my lower back and my bladder hurts. And they said, well, if you're displaying symptoms, you need to go to your GP. And I was like, but why would I come for antibiotics if I wasn't displaying symptoms of a UTI? Like what? And I just thought... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is infuriating so I remember there was a couple of days of like intense waiting for the I can't even remember why they were shut but it was a couple of days of intense waiting of being like I just want antibiotics I'm being so dumbfounded by the fact that if you self-catheterize it, it can't be prescribed for you I just remember that's thinking ridiculous. really yeah I do I remember thinking you know that's crazy I mean not normally like our, our pharmacies and stuff are brilliant but I do I remember when I came off the phone and had to tell that to my husband he was like are you sure that's what they said (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah unfortunately so yeah that that was a bit of a of a funny one slash a massive frustration for me because you think who who made that rule you know yeah the highest risk let's not let them easily access the antibiotics like really I don't know there'll be a reason for it somewhere but I was too sore and annoyed to ask for it. I was like, yeah. okay, bye. And then hung up. <laughs> well, maybe that's something we can look into changing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll start a petition. We'll campaign for it in the UK. 
I'll sign it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have my first signature. Get it on social media. I'm sure I'll find somebody else. <laughs> Maybe I was just really unlucky. <laughs> you just had someone who was not wanting to do their job that day. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. It was like late on a Friday evening. They were probably like, no, that's um, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. They were probably like, we're so close to being out of here. Friday night drinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What time will she even come and pick her up? <laughs> right. <laughs> I live around the corner. I'll be there in a minute if you just give me a prescription. <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to just get drugs or right. something. Like, you know, antibiotics. It's not anything. I'm you can't make anything to, out of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what am I going to be doing? Selling like some weird UTI antibiotic. Who, I mean, I was just about to say who would want to buy that. And then I realized others self-catheterizing. Well, I was going to say other people who self-catheterize for are desperate for antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> just to say, note that we do not recommend anybody, <laughs> anybody to consider that. But yeah, I do remember being like, this is ridiculous. And then having to wait a few days um, to get them. So strange though, isn't it? Highest risk. Yeah, that is Most strange. difficult. So what are some current things that you still do for your bladder extra fee? Like what are some things that you still um, either like consistent maintenance or anything like that? So obviously every day I have to use a catheter to void my bladder. So I have no control over my bladder apart from catheterizing um generally we say every four hours but as I kind of touched on earlier I have feeling in my bladder so Mm -hmm. if I don't feel like I need to go I won't go if I drink a lot I'll go more often so I do that obviously I should kind of irrigate my bladder more with sterile water but I don't do it enough and I should say I I should do it more but it's time consuming and it's painful um, yeah and there's still a little bit of that stubborn child in me that's like, I'm not doing it because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so, but I should do that. And generally speaking, it's just kind of like yearly checkups with my doctor. So just to get blood tests to check my kidneys are still okay. Your ultrasound and your x-rays on your bladder and kidneys just to check that they're all still okay. Um, and then for the first time, at least that I remember, I had a cystoscopy last year um yeah and they had originally wanted to put me under general anesthetic for that and I cried for about three nights straight because I didn't want to go to sleep um and then I had another thing I should say was I'd never met the surgeon that had wanted to put me to sleep to do it and I was like I don't trust you know just based on past experience not that I don't trust doctors that's not correct at all but you want to meet the doctor that's going to have you on the operating table mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a big ask and that's why I said can can she phone me you know I, I just want to talk to her so bless her heart she phoned me and I'd said you know I've, I've never had this done before I don't know why you why you want it and I am terrified of general anesthetics um, like to the point that if you were to tell me now I had to get one I'd burst into tears and then she said to me what size of catheter do you use so that's obviously to determine the size of the channel from the mitrophin off into the bladder right. so I told her what size I used and she went you could be awake for that so I was like I'll come in tomorrow <laughs> if I can be awake and it was all fine so I went in and I had that done and it's to be a yearly thing 
But I remember walking in because it's still in an operating room, and I remember walking in and go, thinking, maybe I should have gone to sleep for this. <laughs> it's well, like this is scary. So for your cystoscopy, they went through the metrophenoff. Yes. Yeah. So lucky. Do they do they not do it that way for you? Well, no. So I actually had my metrophenoff removed when I was eighteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they shove a tube up where you normally would go pee from. <gasps> oh my goodness. But I have like a crap ton of scar tissue from, of course, multiple yeah. surgeries and everything like that. And so it's super painful and it is not a fun experience. So general oh anesthetic, goodness. yes, please for that. <laughs> yeah, I think, oh my goodness. Uh, they just wanted to put, last time they tried to do one, they just put um, some numbing cream on it and that's it. And oh then, my goodness. of course, because our bodies are so different, like, the channel is at a different angle than the doctor was used to. And yeah. so she messed up. Not, I mean, not messed up, but she didn't know. So oh, she stuck the wow. tube in and it didn't work and she pulled it back out and had to start over like two times. But at a certain point, she also like scraped all of the numbing agent off. And so it wasn't doing anything anymore. And it it's so painful. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, well, I'd probably... Um, through the metrophenoff, hell yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and do you know what? It was fine. It, it was a bit uncomfortable, but it was uncomfortable because they were, like, turning the camera and doing whatever yeah. they need to do. But I will say that for the doctors and nurses that were in the room. Like, they absolutely smashed it. They kept my mind off it completely. They were like, do you want to talk about it or do you want to talk about something else? Because we can talk about what we're seeing on the camera or we can talk about something completely different. And I'm normally, like, I was just like, yeah, talk me through it. What are you seeing? What are you looking yeah. for? And... But the way they did it, they were just so good at not making it feel like a medical procedure that I, I was really grateful, actually, for them. And, you know, I, like I say, I get anxious around new doctors just based on past experiences and whatever, but they were, like, amazing. So when I came out, I felt okay. But they do a bit of a, like, a local anaesthetic cream on yeah. the camera. And I remember thinking, I don't know why, I think has been a bit daft but when they said local anesthetic I thought they just meant they would numb me from like the waist down and I wouldn't feel it right so into the room I was like I've not had my local anesthetic and like the nurse was clearly trying not to laugh and she was like oh you know what we just put that on the camera and I was like oops (laughs) (laughs) and I walked in and I was like I should have definitely been asleep for this (laughs) (laughs) but it was fine so that yeah that's the maintenance for me it really doesn't affect my life at all and I know I'm fortunate because I know that there are a few people who who have different things but what what about you what kind of maintenance are you having to do kind of similar to you I I do blood work every year sometimes twice a year to check kidneys and I was diagnosed with stage one kidney disease six years ago so we kind of just monitor that to see how it's going I started working with a nutritionist this last year to oh, wow. make sure I'm eating foods that are good for my kidneys and avoiding things that are damaging to kind of like help with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do ultrasounds like I think every other year to check on it. They also check on my kidneys because I had a long time. I had a scar on one of my kidneys from a really bad infection that I had. And oh, okay. 
So they just check on the health, make sure it's healing properly and that kind of thing. So lots of similar, just maintenance, making, you know, making sure everything's going to be okay for the future. Nothing's getting worse, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody I know actually referred to as an MOT and it's so true, isn't it? It's just, I don't know if that's what it's called in America, actually. An MOT? It's like, I feel like I'm opening up your eyes. To, so basically every year in, in the UK, like you have to get your car taken to have its MOT. And it basically just checks everything in the car and makes sure that it's still safe to drive. I don't know if you oh. do that. Do you not have that in America? No. Well, I mean, they, we used to have to get our smog checked like every so often. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that. <laughs> um, it's basically just like an annual health check of your car but it's a legal requirement as well um, oh. and and I'm sure yeah it's every year I'm That's saying cool. this my husband deals with all of that so I'm like but yeah so it's basically just an annual health check to make sure that your car is still fit for purpose and that's how I see it with Bladder Extra you've got an annual health check just to make sure yeah. that your body is still functioning <laughs> yeah yeah I try to stay on top of it I don't know about what your guys' system is there but our well, the health system I have here, it has like your, your, oh my gosh, I'm blinking out on words right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Like your, um, patient portal has like your checklist of stuff that's coming up. So like if you need to have your blood work done every year, it'll pop up with like, oh, you had your blood work done 11 months ago. You should schedule your blood work next month or whatever. Oh, nice. I usually check that and try to stay on top of it. And my doctor always thinks it's funny when I come in because she's like, nobody else is so on top of like coming in every year, making sure everything's checked. Well, if I don't, something's going to go wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And it'd be typical, like the first time that you think I'm okay, I'll give this one a miss, then you'll get, you'll get sick. Oh, that's funny. We don't have anything like that here. We just kind of get like an appointment out from the NHS to say that you're scheduled in to to be seen at a certain time. Generally, if you don't hear from them, you can maybe phone up and just check. But it's quite good that way because you're just always on the system. So I think however it works is they just, it gets to you and, and they fire you out a letter and they put an appointment in place for you. So I don't, know, maybe, I don't know what one would be better if it's better to be in control and to be able to be like, this is when I need my bloods done. Because sometimes a lot of time will go by and I'll be like, has it been more than a year since my last ultrasound? <laughs> I can't remember. But yeah, it's, it's not it's not too high maintenance really then for either of us, is it? To yeah, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are fortunate, I think, with that at least because you, you, you hear of other individuals who maybe do have it, you know, they've had different procedures or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, like I always kind of say that when I speak to parents of people with bladder extras, like no case is the same. You know, there's lots of similar oh, yeah. experiences and, you know, we've lots of similar experiences, but if you really got down to the nitty gritty of the actual medical terms and things like that, it's probably loads of differences oh, um, yeah. and you know outcomes and whatever but and I always kind of say that to extra parents like not to scare them to be like it might not be as easy <laughs> it wasn't easy but you know it might not be as simple when they get older as it is for me but also you'll be hearing a lot of horror stories right now and it's not 
it's not go- it doesn't mean that it's going to be like that everyone is different yeah and, and it's, it's not all going to be bad no and it's really not and uh, there's the honesty of being like there's going to be some really bad times but like we've said before I think that shapes you you know as a person and you said I don't know if you ever do this but you kind of look back and go oh my god I've actually come through a lot of stuff oh yeah like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel <laughs> awesome don't you you're like wow you know I did that not I did that like myself because obviously we both had support but you just look back and think god we've done a lot <laughs> yeah been through a lot and came out the other side yeah and yeah. and both you know with a kind of positive perspective and like a and a good outlook on life you know yeah yeah. had some hard hands dealt us but that's what it is so yeah yeah I wouldn't so, change it yeah I wouldn't change anything either so nope. do you want to tell us about how you got into fundraising yes because it's related um, to bladder atrophy so it is yes so when I went to the hospital down in London, it's called um, Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, and that was where the kind of specialist surgeon was. So when I went in there, I was six. And that was when I had like my big life-changing surgery. And I remember walking in and being terrified because I was getting a general anaesthetic. But one thing that had really surprised me was when you went into that hospital, it didn't feel like a hospital. Like one, it didn't smell. And, and you'll know what I mean when I say that. It didn't smell like a hospital. Um, and that was weird. And that was the first thing I remember thinking was it doesn't smell like a hospital. The second thing I remember thinking was all these kids are happy and smiling. All of them. They were, you know, the patients were playing with their brothers and sisters. And I remember thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> so I was instantly... I wouldn't say impressed because I was six. I don't know if a six-year-old can be impressed by something, but it had an impact <laughs> on me, yeah. if you like. And then, so basically I got up to the ward um, and I was placed in a, in a bed next to a little boy called Alex. And he was, he was um, being treated for cancer at the time. He, he was going through cancer treatment. So it was different illnesses and obviously different surgeries and things like that but if you're a sick kid in hospital you're next to another sick kid you start talking don't you and again you don't care when you're a kid I mean, you know I wasn't we weren't going to be like you've not got bladder extra and he wasn't going to say you're not getting cancer treatment it was you know we're both here this sucks who are you hi you know and so on so yep. so we became really really close and his parents and well his dad and, and my parents became very close um kind of supporting each other as well and he got so he got discharged from the hospital about two weeks before I did and before he left he got me a massive teddy and and a really nice card that said get better soon love Alex and and I had been really upset that sounds really selfish doesn't it I was upset he got out of hospital and I don't mean it like that but you lost you lost your friends didn't you yeah um so to kind of cheer me up so my dad used to be in the police and he used to always talk to Alex about flying up in a police helicopter and so to cheer me up mum and dad had like arranged for Alex to come to Scotland and to do the police helicopter thing and everything when I get out so when I got out I think it was about two or three days before um he was due to come that we got a call to say that that he was dying and after like a long and kind of hard fight with 
cancer he he passed away um, in his own home and I think it was then that I remember I don't know what it was in me but I just thought like how come I get better and he didn't and then there was just something that thought if I raise money if I fundraise maybe another child that can wouldn't die because the hospital would have machines. And I don't know why I thought it. I don't know when I was in hospital, I was hearing of other people making donations or because you hear about, you know, donations of PlayStations and of games and whatever. So I think it must have come from that. And then that was kind of my drive. I thought I want to stop other wee boys like Alex um, passing away. And I want to make sure that the hospital that saved my life, one, knows how grateful I am, and two, gets to continue doing the the work that it done and the work that it done for me. Um, And I don't know if you remember, but she used to do, I think, Dancing with the Stars in America, Kat Dealey. Oh, yeah. I love her. (laughs) So she, she became the patron of the hospital. And at that time, she used to present a show called Stars in the Rise in the UK. And that was like what me and my dad would watch every Saturday night together. So my dad was like, well, why don't you write to the fundraisers at Great Ormond Street and see if, um, tell them that you love Cat Daly and that you were a patient and da da da. So wrote them an email and they came back and they were like, would you be willing to come and talk about your experiences? We've got an event on at the Hard Rock Cafe in London and Cat Daly is going to be there. So I was like, anything to meet Cat Daly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'd never spoken publicly in my life before, especially, I think when you're young, you don't realise it's such a personal thing anyway, but I'd never spoken publicly or that publicly about being in hospital and stuff like that. But I thought, you know what? I'll try it. If it's a flop, it's a flop, but you know, I'll get over it. So then did that, absolutely loved it. And for some reason, they they really liked me and the story that I shared. So they continued inviting me along to fundraising events to basically just speak about why the hospital was so important. And it gave me the opportunity to talk a wee bit about bladder atrophy, but that wasn't the focus of why I was there. It was to talk about the hospital. And then from that, I was credited with helping to raise just over a million pounds for the hospital and I'm really bad so I don't know what that equates to in American currency. <laughs> it's okay, I'm really bad at too. <laughs> That's fine. So um, I then won an award called the Pride of Britain Award which is an annual television award show which basically celebrates non-celebrities who have maybe overcome adversity and gone on to do a bit of greater good for people. So the fundraisers at the charity have nominated me for that which I won back in 2006. And just from all of that experience, I realised that I loved events management. So I decided to study at, at university, studied events management for four years at university, got the degree. And then I think, as with a lot of events management student, students, I went and started working in hotels and things like that. And it's really weird because even after all the, my fundraising experiences, I'd never thought of it as a career that I would do. So I was just in hotels, you know, doing weddings and stuff, which is incidentally where I met my husband in a hotel. And then about four years ago, a job came up as an assistant fundraiser at a charity in Scotland. And I was like, give it a bash. Like maybe I would be in with a shop because of my Pride of Britain and stuff. Um, and now four years on, I'm, I'm still doing it and absolutely loving it. It's an amazing job. But yeah, again, if it wasn't for having bladder extra 
I wouldn't have fundraised for Great Ormond Street and I don't think I'd be a fundraiser now. I don't know what I would be. (laughs) But yeah, so so that was kind of my story and obviously I'll always be a huge supporter of that hospital. And funnily enough, I actually got back in touch with Alex's family about five years ago because I got a tattoo of his name on on my shoulder. And the, the writer of the Peter Pan books, so he'd given all of the rights to Great Ormond Street so that all the money that comes through the Peter Pan story and franchise and whatever goes straight to them. So it's his name and then it's a Peter Pan silhouette, which is quite nice because it's also like the boy who never grew up. And then from that, my mum managed to find his sister on Facebook and, and she'd said, you know, did you have a brother called Alex? And she, she was a bit like, yeah, who are you? <laughs> Why? And then my, my mum had told her and, and through that, I've managed to get back in touch with Alex's sister and family again which was really nice because she sent me through like pictures of him and stuff when he was younger and pictures when he wasn't in hospital which is obviously not the way I remembered him so it was nice to see him like as a as a healthy little boy so yeah yeah I just got goosebumps (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the first time I've spoken about it and not died so (laughs) yay Um, but yeah so that that's basically how I get into fundraising talking talking about what I've been through getting to talk to amazing people who support charities um and this is the professional fundraising (laughs) coming out now um but yeah basically getting to speak to the the people that were there that wanted to support the organization and and they did and and thanks to them yeah, I got that award, you know, and it is thanks to the people who donated to Great Ormond Street that I got the award because if I went up and spoke and nobody gave a penny, they'd be thinking, her story's not getting us anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're not inviting her back. <laughs> but no, it was brilliant. And yeah, I just can't imagine doing anything, anything doing different anything now. Yeah. Um, you get to go out and meet lots of people. Where are you working now? You said you're working for a fundraiser. Yes, so I work in in the UK. It's it's a it's a very well known one. It's it's an amazing organisation to work for, but I've only been there for five months, so I feel like I'm still still finding still finding my feet. And and it's working from home, which which is nice. But yeah, when you've got a puppy, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. So we got him just before I got the job, and I always say getting a new job and a dog at the same time is probably not not the wisest thing. But yeah, so so my job now is basically. To, to to get to I get to speak to people who want to support the organisation and say thanks and very often and they've got a really personal connection to the cause so I think I cry nearly every day at work but in a good way <laughs> that's healthy <laughs> I know right but yeah like that's what it is but yeah you do you, you get a bit emotional and then obviously because of like my connection to, to Alex it kind of feels like it's come a bit full circle because obviously yeah. lost him to to cancer and now working for a cancer charity so I feel like still doing it for him you know it's doing it for Great Ormond Street where he was treated and now yeah you know, I don't know feels strange but yeah awesome it. awesome yeah. thanks for <laughs> I, know. I know and that's the story of my life <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other last thoughts or stories you want to tell us? Anything I, that we missed? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. But just to say thanks to you for doing the podcast, because I think it is important that 
obviously people people get to hear from other people who've gone through the the same thing because googling stuff is never good I mean like I'll sometimes google stuff to do with blood and I'll get the fear even when I'm reading it and I'm going that's ridiculous that very yep. seldom happens so yeah if if anybody you know has just found out that they're going to have a child with bladder or has just had a child don't google anything yeah um, yeah definitely I mean even for the yeah. the first podcast that I did where it was like I was talking about my experience mm-hmm. I did a bunch of google research <laughs> essentially yeah in into different statistics like how common it is in females and just like what it is and I think I scared myself silly reading it like, that happened to me stop it <laughs> I know but you do you just it just sounds so much worse I think yeah. than what it is and do you know what maybe it's actually not as bad as it is but maybe just because we've gone through it all it doesn't feel quite as like but um yeah yeah I think the fact that you're doing the podcast is really positive and you've got a positive spin on it which I think is really nice and I think have you been in touch with or are you getting in touch with quite a few other people a I few other Tom people said, so yeah he's been really great in sending me a few contacts yeah so. he's he's very yeah. he knows everybody I don't know how but like he knows people in the UK that I don't know and he's like they're from Scotland just a couple of hours away from you so I gave them your name and I'm like how did you okay. meet them <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you come across this one and he's like oh, I don't know just um, okay um, but yeah no it is, it's really good that that you're doing the podcast and I'll obviously I'll share it with my networks because I think it's just yeah, it's you. an awesome thing to do <laughs> it's raising awareness you. isn't it so and it's probably quite cathartic for you I would imagine to just kind of yeah yeah because I mean it's like we were saying you didn't really we didn't really realize when we were younger how different we were it's yeah. like that hindsight of looking back and being like, wow, my experience really is that different from the other kids that I was going to school with. And I had no idea. I mean, yeah, a semblance of an idea, but I didn't understand like the whole. Yeah, of how different it is. All of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think the one other thing that would be good, obviously, that's probably a whole other podcast, but a lot of people even our age are very anxious about dating and yes. telling people and I don't ever remember telling my husband about it I can't remember I think I just sort of slowly started telling him things like I use a catheter to empty my bladder <laughs> 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 like really casual first date talk I, I like the uh, eyebrow <laughs> flick that went with that <laughs> I know I feel like if you could just have a picture of that but yeah like and I've always said, like, obviously, it's not always been it's not always been plain sailing and like dating. But I've I always say, like, if somebody doesn't accept you for like who you are and what you've gone through, then do you really want them to be in your life? Yeah, yeah. I think dating is quite a big thing for people with extreme. Yeah. Maybe it's just the way I was brought up, but just tell people and see if they don't like it. You know, they they don't like it. Yeah, I mean, if they can't um, handle it, then they're not right for you. They're not meant to be in your life long term exactly. exactly and I always say like I do always say that I'm probably the only girl that my husband knows that can write her name in the snow with P <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so that's so weird and I'm like but it's true isn't it so you know th- there are bonuses when anybody's looking for a chat up line with x that one didn't work 
<laughs> it did. It grossed him out a little bit, I think. But I was like, yeah, but you know, and I can't pee myself, so that's also a bonus. That's also a plus. <laughs> I, I spent like seven years of my life just constantly doing it, and now I can't do it at all anymore. So, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's kind of everything covered, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well, thanks for coming on. I really well, thank appreciate you for having me. The time to chat. Oh no, thank you for having me. It was lovely to finally get to meet you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. I hope you found it informative and as enjoyable as I did. It was really a pleasure talking to Christine. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts at. To help me with this podcast, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. If you're interested in sharing your story or know someone who is, please feel free to reach out to me either on my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com, or you can find me on social media.